Hey everybody, this is Hafsa and you are listening to The Cryptid, a weekly podcast that delves into politics and history to decrypt complex topics. It doesn't matter what your background is, get yourself a cup of coffee or tea if you're a tea person, because in today's episode, we're talking about the animosity between Morocco and Algeria. If you have been to Morocco, you may have met locals who told you that the border with Algeria is closed and there has always been a dispute. And maybe you've been following North African news and came across topics such as borders, occupation, territorial integrity, Western Sahara or Moroccan Sahara. And in other case, uh, it can be difficult to obtain objective and nuanced information to understand what the problem is, especially when you know that the two countries share common historical and cultural traits like foreign occupation, religion, and even language. So you would certainly think, but they're supposed to be friends. And you definitely be right. But in this episode, we'll dig into history to find why Morocco and Algeria are doomed to be enemies. Uh, first things first, the Moroccan-Algerian animosity is rooted in the French colonial experience in Africa. Um, in 1830, France invaded Algeria and that marked the beginning of a long 132-year colonization that ended after decades of struggles by the Algerian, notably the infamous War of Independence between 1954 and 1962, and during which thousands of Algerians died fighting for their country's independence. And when the French first conquered Algeria, um, its territory was much smaller than what it is now. And over time, the French started expanding the Algerian territory because borders were not clearly demarcated at that time. And even the concept of frontiers was more or less alien in comparison with Europe. So after the French conquest of Algeria, Morocco started supporting the Algerian resistance financially, militarily, and logistically. And since that solidarity was mainly religion-based, Morocco went on and hosted the resistance leader, Amir Abdul Qadir. And of course, Morocco's support and uh, asylum angered the French, so they issued an ultimatum for the Moroccan Sultan to stop hosting the Algerian leader. So basically, Morocco was in a dilemmatic situation because on the one hand, it was inappropriate and immoral to ask its guests to leave. And on the other, Morocco was not strong enough to impose its stance on the French. However, it continued supporting its neighbors' anti-colonial project, and that proved to cost a lot. The French Navy bombarded Tanger in the north of Morocco and Mogador, what is now called Isawira, and that provocation erupted the so-called Battle of Isli. So the Sultan was in a very difficult situation, and he was obliged to sign a treaty with the French to stop the fighting in 1844. And so the French used that treaty to say, 
Okay, we'll stop the war, but in exchange you have to recognize that Algeria is part of France. So here, the thing is that the battle was very hard for Morocco, and despite having a larger number of fighting forces, you know, some 60,000 against 11,000, it was nearly impossible to win against the French because they had a significant and clear military advantage in terms of tactics and weaponry. And less than a year later in Algeria, um, France and Morocco signed the very important Treaty of Lella Marnia, in which the French uh, delineated part of the border between Morocco and Algeria. And this is when things get tricky, because the treaty only specified a tiny part of Morocco's border, because the French wanted to give themselves room to adjust Algerian borders, because, you know, having hard borders would obviously be a barrier for any uh, future exploitation of natural resources. And uh, you might think, but the Sultan didn't sit on the table with the French to clear confusion and place Morocco in a strong position. Why? And I agree with you. But for the Sultan, uh, just because borders were clear in his mind, he thought the French would behave accordingly. And the truth is that he was wrong. And here, the thing is that the Sultan and the French had two different definitions of the state. And this is the source of problems, because for the Sultan, it was clear that Morocco traditionally influenced the Western Sahara, part of Algeria, Mauritania and Mali. And that might seem interesting if we adopt today's modern concept of the state, of course. But back at the time, borders were more or less defined according to allegiance of tribes to the sovereign authority. So we're talking about a tribal geography. And was that clear for the French? Probably yes. But did it have any importance? Certainly not. Because for the French, Morocco was deeply divided among tribes and uh, fractions and institutions didn't have much importance. And that was one reason why Morocco was very weak in comparison with France, where uh, the state as we know it today was already present. So the absence of hard borders allowed the French to adjust the Algerian-Moroccan border in a way that favored Algeria, especially after it established the protectorate in Morocco in 1912. So it had carte blanche and started adjusting the border, and Morocco couldn't do anything. And years later, in 1956, Morocco got independence, but it was clearly not happy with the delineation of borders, right? And Algeria, on the other hand, was busy fighting a bitter war for independence. So in 1961, the Moroccan king signed a um, convention with uh, the Algerian president to discuss the problem of borders once Algeria obtains its independence. And uh, here one would say that this matter couldn't wait and that the king should have discussed it early. But the truth is that we're saying so because we know what happened. But for the king, um, it was more uh, of a matter of wisdom and respect for the Algerians because 
They were in the middle of the war, and the king thought it is not the right moment to talk about borders. However, after independence, the Algerians said, "Well, you signed with a temporary government, and we cannot recognize the commitments it made. So our borders are not something to discuss or negotiate." And Here, of course, Rabat was not happy, and that paved the road for、uh, the October 1963 Sand War, when the Moroccan military made an advance in Algerian territory, and clashes started. And、um, some countries did provide support for Algeria, like Cuba and Egypt, because remember, we're in the middle of the Cold War. And then Ethiopia and Mali mediated, and the war ended with a status quo in February of 1964. And here you may ask, but what about the French? Well,、uh, I'll tell you that France was supplying weapons to Morocco, but its position remained ambiguous as to what party it supported. But what about the Western Sahara? The war sand had to do with a different border. And wait, what did the French do about the Western Sahara border? And that's a great question. But to answer it, we need to go back to the end of the 19th century in 1984, because the French capitalized on the status they had and helped Spain to colonize the Western Sahara. But Spain was very weak at that time because it had witnessed the civil war and it supported Hitler and Mussolini in、uh, the Second World War. And you're right, Spain was not ready to take a significant role in the war, and it witnessed a, a period of isolation. And as a result, it didn't display the same level of interest as France did towards its colonies. And during this time, a young Sahrawi man named Elwali Mustafa Sayed, who studied law and political science in Rabat and capitalized on his network to co-found the so-called Polisario Front. And to put it simply, Polisario back at the time called for the independence of Sahara. And that coincided with the Cold War, and Spain showed the level of neutrality, and it had to adhere to the international rules requiring colonial powers to decolonize. And this was a major reason why the decolonization process took place in 1975, which was followed by a pacific march organized by King Hassan II to reclaim Morocco's sovereignty over the Western Sahara. And approximately uh, some three hundred and fifty thousand people participated in that march. So by now you、uh, see that the events are a bit. Complex and interrelated, but by 1975, Hassan II had survived two coup attempts. So he used the Green March to consolidate his power. But、uh, Rabat claimed the Sahara and asserted that the Sahara territory has always been Moroccan. But the United Nations deemed that move to be a territorial annexation. And this is when Elwali proclaimed the so-called Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic nearly one month after Spain's withdrawal. But what does Algeria have to do with this? 
Well, uh, the Algerian regime recognized Sadr and it started providing military support for Polisario. And by default, it backed the Sahrawi people who called for self-determination. And of course, Morocco was not happy with this situation. So it used the military option until 1991. But Algeria continued engaging in an arms race. And part of that was to tackle the repercussions of the um, security situation in neighboring Mali. But another part and a significant one was to support Polisario. And in 2007, Rabat proposed the so-called autonomy plan um, under which the Sahara territory would be autonomous, but it would fall under Moroccan sovereignty. But why all that? Why does Algeria, the largest country in Africa with massive oil reserves, devote so much money for Polisario? And here, um, I'll tell you that the regime seeks the referendum option to determine the fate of the Sahara. And still, you may ask, but what is the reason here? And well, uh, you should know that part of what makes states strong is territory and access and control over natural resources. And guess what? The Sahara grants Morocco tremendous strength because it gives it extra access to fish and waters, phosphate reserves, and many other uh, resources. Algerian-Moroccan relations went through many ups and downs, but unfortunately, animosity was the signature. Occasional incidents even led to the cessation of diplomatic relations. And you should know that tensions reached a new level in 2020, because as you may know, Morocco and the United States maintain very good relations. And in the US, the Jewish lobby is so powerful that it is able to influence the course of American foreign policy. So what happened is that Morocco normalized relations with Israel, and in exchange, Donald Trump recognized Morocco's sovereignty over the Western Sahara. And it felt like Morocco was inviting Israel to its back door, especially um, when we see that uh, Moroccan-Israeli relations have been developing very quickly. And the countries have uh, signed many deals, including uh, military deals. And after months, uh, that seemed to pay off for Morocco because Israel recognized that the Western Sahara is a Moroccan territory. And here we should expect a new turn in relations between Rabat and Algiers. So this is what the animosity between Morocco and Algeria is about. And the Western Sahara is a protracted conflict, but it is not a forgotten one as many label it. The conflict started with French colonization, but it was brought about by many mistakes. For example, one would say that Morocco should have been more cautious when it comes to the intention of the French, or that the king should not have waited for Algeria to obtain independence. But 
Anyways, they say that we should learn from past mistakes and move forward. But can this mindset be applied in the case of the Western Sahara? Morocco says its claims over that territory are rooted in history and it spends billions of dollars on arms and lobbying to defend its territorial integrity. And Algeria also spends billions of dollars on arms and lobbying, but to push for an independent Sahara because that would be a unique opportunity for it to expand its regional influence. But how is that going to end? And one possible scenario here is that Morocco would target sovereignty support from the allies of the United States and Israel, which are mutual. So we're talking about powerful countries that may be able to change the uh, conflict trajectory even at the United Nations. However, officials in Morocco and Algeria are in a tricky situation. Because when you have the money and a good arsenal, starting a conflict is a piece of cake, right? But when you realize that that conflict is draining your resources and diverting your attention from equally important issues, and that can happen after a year or two or even 30, you also realize, how am I going to proceed? And in a protracted conflict like the Western Sahara, the first step is to make a concession. And Morocco already made one in 2007. Now, uh, for Algeria, the ruling military regime have always had a deep animosity for the Moroccan monarchy. So it's very difficult to say that that regime will one day abandon its quest for an independent Sahara. But what about the people, the Algerians, the Moroccans? Well, despite the massive propaganda used to show that the enemy is external, Moroccans and Algerians are brothers and sisters. And why can't they be? Eventually, they share a common culture, religion, history, and language. And most importantly, they signal to politicians that no matter how you instrumentalize the conflict to fuel animosity, Moroccans and Algerians will always respect and honor each other. Thank you very much for listening to this episode from start to finish. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends, colleagues and family. If you have any questions, comments or remarks, please find me on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. I would also be happy if you suggest topics that you want me to decrypt for you. And in the meantime, take care, stay safe and stay tuned for the next episode in which I will decrypt football diplomacy in Saudi Arabia.